Aldous Huxley was an English writer and philosopher. He wrote nearly 50 books. And here's his quote about history. That men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. Welcome to the History Slices Podcast. A mother-son duo discussing awesome bits of history. We prove on every show that history is not boring. Entertaining, yet stimulating. This is History Slices. And now, here's your hosts, Jacob and Rachel. Good morning, Abby. Hi, Mama. I'm so excited that you're here taking Jacob's place today. Thanks so much for joining us. And I want to catch the audience up real quick. What's going on here today, why you don't hear Jacob's voice on the other end, is that Abby is part of our reinforcements. So Jacob (laughs) is involved and he's getting ready to move across the country. And so um, we called in some reinforcements and Abby's going to share with us about, I believe it's a person, but I don't know who the person is. is. It's a person. (laughs) It's a mystery person. So um, we kind of let the audience know on on one of the last um, episodes that this was going to be taking place and that we didn't know what the order was. Usually we know who it's going to be or what it's going to be about before going into it. But um, the audience is just as much in the dark as I am at this point. So, so Abby, thanks so much for uh, being here today. We're we're really appreciative of your time. And uh, let us know, who who are you talking about? Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Mom. This is very exciting. Yeah. Very scary, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be um, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, okay, to jump right in, it took me a second to find the person who I wanted to speak about because I really haven't done much history delving. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I'm just going to put this out here real quick. And if I had to guess, not a specific person who you're doing, but I would guess it might be like a musician. That's what I, that's what, that's what my guess is. I have no idea. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I did look at, it was a, an, actress her name was Hetty something huh. but and she helped invent uh bluetooth and internet oh wow or like the idea of it i guess but um i decided on someone else because i didn't feel super connected to that person i also thought about abigail adams for a second but i was like that's just because she has my name i'm not <laughs> i don't I have no other connection to her it was so important I, to be researching somebody and sharing about somebody that you know you feel a connection with because that'll make it more interesting Definitely. so way to go mm-hmm. thank you thank you so I uh I looked up um like women in history because I wanted to do a woman you know mm-hmm. because Jacob mostly does men which makes sense because most of our history has men so much about yeah so much except so, for the last one we just did Catherine the Great but yeah you're, you're right but... <laughs> most of them are probably are men so good yeah okay so I found and this name popped out to me because I recognized it Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Yes, there's um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Of course, that was the high school uh, that mm-hmm. that was named after with the, that shooting, the school shooting from yes, um, from 2018. 2018. It's already been three years. Okay. Yeah. Isn't oh, that crazy? really interesting. Yeah. So, who was yeah. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas? So, let me start with her early life. <laughs> I'll start at the beginning. Okay. She was born April seventh in 1890. Huh. In Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, her parents were not like they were well respected in the community, but they weren't super rich or anything. Her mom was a concert violinist, and her dad was a judge. Wow! And a newspaper editor. Pretty yeah. respectable, both. Yeah, yeah. pretty respectable. 
but her parents split up when she was young. Wow, unusual. Uh, it seems like sick. yeah, for yeah, that time. right in yeah. eighteen ninety. Wow. It was like 1896 that her parents split up. I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. And they moved to different places. Her mom moved to Massachusetts where young Marjorie moved with her at that time. Okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I guess in Massachusetts, they didn't, she just grew up, you know, nothing really special happened. <laughs> she, <laughs> she went to school. <laughs> she went to school. She graduated high school in 1908. Okay. Just easy 18 years old. And then she went to Wesley College in New Jersey. That's where she graduated. She's an alumni or she was an alumni from uh, Wesley College. Okay. I'm not sure that might have been an all girls college, but I'm not sure about that. Oh, I didn't even look that up. Yeah. But that would be very okay. interesting. Yeah, I could be completely lying too. But it seems like <laughs> it might be. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so she went there. Yeah, she graduated with a degree in English literature in 1912. Okay, that seems pretty like standard for uh you know kind of a standard major for a female but yeah kind of unusual though at that time that, that a, a woman would be going to college too she's probably in a small smaller you know percentage of women went to college back then yeah I'm sure of it and I feel like that English literature degree she got a little bit from her father because he was a newspaper editor mm -hmm. I'm not sure if maybe when she was young that like his work sparked something in her or she just wanted to be like him. I'm yeah. not sure, but yeah. she just loved the language. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So while in New Jersey, she met a newspaper man named <laughs> Kenneth Douglas, oh. um, who she then married a few months later. Wow. Yeah. Super quick. But <laughs> I guess that speed yeah. <laughs> was a uh, detrimental. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, she left him, like, right after. Oh, no. Because he was drinking too much. <sighs> and also, um, he was forging bank drafts in her name. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm surprised she continued to keep that name associated with her. Like, I would have dropped the name like Isn't a that... hot rock. I thought so, too. Um, the divorce wasn't finalized until later. It didn't tell me a specific time, yeah. but it was like years later. She was living in Miami at this point. Wow. Um, yeah, but she never got rid of the name. She just kept the name. And maybe she just liked it. I don't yeah. know. It does sound, it has a nice ring to it. It does. It does. <laughs> but she was kind of, she made kind of an impetuous decision to marry a guy who she probably didn't know very well and then uh, discovered he wasn't the right kind of guy so and then she moved to Miami which is putting her closer to the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School area yes yes because that's in Parkland okay uh, so it's just a little north of Miami okay she moved to Miami officially in 1915 where her dad was oh yeah and her dad had already made a name for himself down there uh, because in 1908 he founded the Miami News Record, ah. which was renamed in 1910 to the Miami Herald, yeah, which, which is, is still around today. That's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. And so she started working there uh, with her dad as a society reporter and editor. Oh, wow. So that fit right into her. Uh, it's so cool to see all the pieces come together like that. So Yeah, she, isn't that neat? Yeah. <laughs> so she didn't last long the first time at the Miami Herald, because in 1912, right when the U.S. entered World War One, she actually enlisted in the Naval Reserve as the first woman in Florida to do so. Oh, my goodness. OK, so just I'm sorry, let me just clarify, because I'm getting some of the dates mixed up. So that was 1912. Yeah. And oh, yes. she moved down there in 1908, was it? Or in 1908, that was when her dad 
founded the Miami. Oh, okay. Community. So how long, when did she start working there? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So <laughs> she started working there. Wait, no, these dates are kind of confusing me too now. Hold on. It's, <laughs> so it's okay. It's okay. It looks like she um, enlisted in the Naval Reserve, like right when she moved down to Florida. Okay. Before she started working with her dad, I guess. Oh. She does work with him later. Okay. Sorry, that was confusing. Okay, that's okay. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So she became, a, I don't know how to pronounce this word, a yeoman. Yeah. Y-E-O-M-A-N. Yes. I think uh, that is pronounced. clerical and administrative work. Cool. For the Navy. That's what she did. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and she was stationed in Miami, ah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> So she was already close to her dad at that point, but she didn't last long there. She left the Navy uh, a year after and joined the American Red Cross serving in Europe. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure what she did at the American Red Cross. I'm guessing more clerical administrative work because that was her specialty. Right. But she, all I know is that was, she was stationed in Europe during the time. And, of course, it was during World War One still. So, yeah. you know. Wow. Pretty adventurous. Seriously. And she was still young at this point. You know, she just graduated, like, like literally the year before or something. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think how I would feel about my recently graduated daughter going over to Europe in the middle of a war. I mean, yeah, it's right. really something that you'd be, you'd be really, I mean, it's kind of self-sacrificial. So, I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. She didn't um, last long there either, though, <laughs> the American <laughs> Red Cross. I think she was only there for about three to five years. Well, that's not that's um, not too short either. That's It isn't too short. It, it was significant. It was, a, it was a significant amount of time. I'm guessing that around the time the war, the war was like kind of coming down, mm-hmm. um, she moved back to Miami okay. where she worked as an assistant editor at the Herald with her dad. Very cool. So while she was working there, now we can kind of calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Things settled down a little bit. (laughs) uh, Yeah, kind of. I mean, her life was very full and interesting, but um, she wrote about what she was most concerned about, obviously, because she was a society reporter. So Mm -hmm. she really had free range. Uh. And that was the consequences of Florida's commercial development. For one, she was, she wrote highly about um, how Florida's commercial development was ruining the ecosystem and the environment and like everything around Florida, basically. Very interesting. And she also wrote a lot about uh, women's equality and civil rights, Uh which was very pretty um, unheard of at the time because it was still early 1900s, you know? Yeah. And what year was it that um, I should know this? But I can't remember what year women were granted the right to vote. Was it like 1913 or something? I think it was around 1913. Um, that sounds right to me. I was thinking 1923. Yeah, I can look um, it up real quick. I just know it's a 19th Amendment. Uh, yeah. August 20th, 1920. 1920. So okay. we were both kind of close. Yeah, yeah. All right. So women were granted the right to vote. Thank you, Google. In 1920. Thank you. I was just trying um, to, I was trying to put that like in the backdrop, like what the work that she's doing, I was trying to put it in the backdrop of what was going on yeah, in the greater. Of course. Yeah. So she was an kind of a, one of the early ones in the suffrage movement trying okay. to get women, uh, civil rights and, um, equality and stuff like that. Right. Um, cool. and she didn't focus, um, her entire career on that. She focused more on the Florida, um, 
Florida's commercial development part. Hmm. Um, I think that kind of led her into what she is really known for, which we'll get into in just a second. But before she, you know, gets into that, she did have to resign from the Miami Herald in 1923 because she was diagnosed with nervous fatigue. Wow. Which is very interesting. I did not know what nervous fatigue was until I read that. And I was like, what the heck? That doesn't even sound real. <laughs> so I like, know. Is that I like a up, nervous breakdown or? It's like a nervous central, like a c- your nervous. Uh, central nervous system? Yes. Central nervous system fatigue. So it's like literally your nervous system, it gets just worn out and you it's just hard to support it, I guess. Wow. Some symptoms, I looked up some symptoms, include lack of motivation, trouble sleeping, uh, irritability, physical fatigue, feelings of helplessness, absent-mindedness, apathy, headaches, uh, change in appetite, depression. That there, sounds there, awful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's insane. <laughs> I wonder um, if there's a different and, name for that now or if they know more, like they divide that into different things or I'm sure a yeah, lot has, has happened in the way of how they diagnose and treat all that stuff. Because I'm sure, I mean, I, I've never heard of that before, you know. Yeah. I'm sure it's just not as common as it now as it was then as it was then or it's been divided up and called different things now yeah very possible very possible wow that Um, sounds like it's awful and she was still pretty young at the time she was she was she must have been um let's see she graduated when she was 18 she graduated college when she was around 21 and that was like she was like 32 at this point maybe okay she got nervous fatigue and she had to uh, resign from the miami herald okay but In all this free time she had now, she started writing freelance, uh, mostly short stories. And she also taught at the University of Miami from 1925 to 1929. So uh, that nervous fatigue must have gotten better Uh in those two years where she was just freelance writing. She was able to teach at uh, the Miami University of Miami. That's so cool. Yeah. She also served on the editorial board at the University of Miami Press, which is very interesting. Well, she didn't let moss grow under her feet or whatever that is saying. Yeah. She's busy. Yeah, seriously. She kept, she kept that fire under her. Yeah. Um, And she still's not married during this. She's still not married. She does not ever remarry. Interesting. Yeah. I thought so too, especially at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because Because she'd have married for like maybe a year and then that's all. That's really fascinating because all this time she's got to support herself through the illness and mm-hmm. everything else. So she managed to forge her way. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. So while she was teaching at the University of Miami, uh, actually specifically in 1928, the year before she left, she came in second place for the prestigious O. Henry Memorial Prize for short stories. Oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, the prestigious O. Henry Memorial Prize is just, well, it, it's a collection of English short stories annually. Okay. So I guess she... Um, I'm not sure if her short story got put into the collection or if it was just like the second prize out of the first, like if it was just voted not as good as the first one (laughs) Um, and it was in the collection. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, exactly. But that was really interesting, too. So you can just tell that she was a good writer. (laughs) That's very cool. Yeah. All right. So sorry, this part in my notes gets really confusing. So I just have to figure this out. Okay, so. She loved, okay, near the Miami, the University of Miami, she would always look out the windows uh, to the beauty of the wildlife near her. 
there was a lot of wildlife near her um, because the University of Miami is close to the Everglades. Um, and that's what the, her real passion was about, the Everglades. So she, she served on the Everglades Park Committee, and she was an early supporter of the initiative to designate the area as a national park. At that point in history, the Everglades were kind of already being diminished. Wow. People were trying to drain the water so that they could build houses there. Right. They wanted to just commercialize it. Um, and she was like, no, this is beautiful. Like the wildlife here is like nothing I've ever seen before, basically. Yeah. And important. Um, <laughs> yeah, and important yeah. For the e- yeah, seriously. That's so interesting. I'm just thinking, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. when you're when you're down there and you drive like from Naples on the Gulf Coast across Alligator Alley <laughs> to Miami, it's like nothing but there's just nothing there but Everglades. If yeah. I yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, I don't know if that's designated like a national park or, or what must be. Congress actually designated the park as a national park in nineteen thirty four. Ah, cool. So she had something to yeah. do with affecting that. Do you do you happen and you may not have this info, but do you happen to know like the size of the park? Oh, I don't. I don't know yeah. the size of the park. I think that it's massive be, though. It is huge. It yeah. is like a major part of Florida. Yeah. Uh, but it actually took more than a decade to get the the funds to pay for it, to pay for, um, like, to kind of make it into a visitable national park, oh, I think. Oh, okay. So, yeah, they, they designated it as a national park so that no one would be draining any more water yeah, <laughs> right. and wouldn't be ruining it. So they could just preserve it for a second. And it took a second, like, 10 years to get funds enough to actually support it. I gotcha. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. And so was that just like the national park service or something was, it was being managed probably by the national park service or something at that point? I'm guessing. Yes. Um, It also took in those 10 years, they had to get the the rights for the land. So they had to, I'm not sure who owned the land before, but all I know is that it said Congress was the one who designated the park and needed to get the, so it was like a national issue. Yeah. Wow. Um, so during, well, not during this time, after that, uh, in 1942, author Hervey Allen. Hervey? <laughs> uh, yeah, Hervey <laughs> Allen. He won a Pulitzer Prize for a critique that he wrote. He used to write critiques. He was also a poet, a journalist, and an artist. Huh. Very right-brained um, guy. Definitely. <laughs> he um, asked her to contribute to to a book series on rivers of America. Huh. And, of course, she asked if she could do the Everglades instead of the Miami River, which he had suggested. And he said, yeah, that's totally fine. You can write about that. So after five years of research and writing, wow. she was able to publish Everglades, River of Grass in 1947. That's oh. the name of that book. That is really um, interesting. Yeah, I thought, I thought she so put too. so much like work into that. Mm-hmm, five whole years to write that book. Yeah, you were gonna say you like how she named. Yeah, I like that how she named it because she was supposed to write about a, a, a river. Yeah, um, it's not really a river, but she still called it River of Grass, which yeah. I thought was really neat. I think that's cool too, um, especially yeah. because if people don't know what the Everglades are, it's a very descriptive kind of a title. Definitely, and at this point, the Everglades were not like famous. You know, no one really knew about them. Everyone just kind of knew that it was designated as a park, 
and they didn't really know why. They didn't really have any more information on it. Mm. So the same year that she published that book, The Everglades River of Grass, mm -hmm. that same year in 1947 is when Everglades Park opened. Oh, how perfect is that? Yeah, it wasn't, I don't think it was synced up like that. Yeah. But that's just it just how it happened, happened to work out that way. That's very yeah. cool. So her book highlighted the unique wildlife of the area of the park. And it also publicized the dangers to the Everglades, like oh. the construction of dams and canals, which were constructed and also, what's the word for like almost constructed? Like planned? Planned to be constructed. Okay. <laughs> um, in efforts to drain the Everglades, like I said before, which would have destroyed the ecosystem and the diverse wildlife and everything. So the threat, um, the threats to the Everglades. Exactly. I imagine she, that she the highlighted the threats and the, yeah. the beauty of it, basically. The scope of her research. No wonder it took her so long. That's yeah. massive. Yeah, seriously. But thankfully, her efforts were not in vain because the book became a bestseller and transformed the public's perception of the Everglades. Wow. So that must yeah. be the thing she's most well known for. Yes. Yes. The wow. thing, well, she's really most well known for um, saving the Everglades in general. Yeah. If not for her, then we would have no Everglades to save today uh, because it's still a constant issue to keep the environment healthy enough to uh, have that ecosystem flowing regularly. Yeah. But um, if she hadn't done anything back then, then long ago they would have been transformed into just another landmass. Landmass. <laughs> another city. Another yeah. few cities. And we wouldn't have been able to recover it at all. Kind of gives me chills to think about that where here's this gal who just is following her passions and, you know, putting effort into something that matters to her. And it has such a an awesome outcome. Yeah, definitely. I'm always trying to like take lessons from stuff. And I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to uh, no, interrupt you again, but just that's such a good lesson for us to think about, you know, if we just follow what's in our hearts and do, you know, and work towards something that's beneficial, it plays, you know, it's it's like a puzzle piece in the big picture of, of, of everything. So that's just a really, really it cool really story. Because you can't know like that. He, Going into all that, she couldn't have known what the outcome was going to be, all the different pieces of, you know, the, the chess yeah. pieces of her life, how it all moved together. She couldn't have known that would have, what was going to be the outcome, but she just continued to, you know, stick by what's important to her, the writing part and the, you know, the ecology part and all that. So that's really very, very very cool. Yeah, I thought I thought it was really neat. Um, it, it is very motivating because it, it just proves to you that even if you don't see the outcome, like you were just saying, even if you don't even have an outcome in your lifetime that you that you see in the future, it could change yeah. like the world basically. Yeah. You know, the butterfly effect. Exactly. I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah. So. We have a little time jump here. <laughs> in 1969, she helped establish the Friends of the Everglades group and was the first president of it. Uh, that club group thing is still around today. It's still oh, uh, wow. in operation. So I didn't get much information on this. This is just a super random fact. But around this time, she started going blind wow. and she actually died blind. So she she did. She um, lost her eyesight gradually. She, she lost her eyesight gradually, slowly, but it did happen. Yeah. But that's all I have on that. I'm probably not even going to mention that again. She just. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, well, that's she interesting. That's. Yeah. Macular degeneration or something. People do start to lose their eyesight, some, you know, and go blind when they get older. But if this was in 69. I'm trying to think. 69. She, she was about she was 70. Born in, she was yes. 80, closer to 80. 
closer close uh close to 80 at this point okay. yes she's getting pretty old so yeah but she's still she's active good, yeah she, yeah she's just founded or she just established the friends of the everglades at like 70 years old so That's, that is also very inspirational yeah yeah keep very, chugging away yeah. Um, but it keeps going. Yeah. In 1970, the uh, state decide. Okay, so basically, sorry, let me go back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so when she uh, started going blind around that time, she was traveling Florida to um, speak out about a jet port that was supposed to be built in the Everglades. Huh. So she was trying to bring light on that and have it not happen uh-huh. because it's a national park at this point. I don't know why that was even a question uh-huh. um, to have a jet port there. But finally, in 1970, the state decided to build a jet port somewhere else. So her efforts were not in vain once more. Wow. All right. So just a, another, this is kind of random fact about her writing. The book she wrote, Everglades, River of Grass. Uh-huh. That was technically her first book, but since it was in the series of, let me find his name again too now, yeah. Hervey Allen, uh-huh. since it was in his series, I don't think that it really counted as like her first novel. Okay. Um, she was published, first, but, it, but it wasn't. It was yeah. published, but not as a novel, I guess. Okay. So her first novel was actually published in 1951 called Road to the Sun, and she had published eight other books after Ending wow. with her 1987 autobiography, Voice of the River. I bet that is a fascinating read. That makes me want to go read it. I know, me too. Especially because she published it in 1987, which was... She was she like was 90. 97 at that point. Holy She was almost cow. 100 years old. What an inspiration. Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, I'm sitting here and I'm in my 50s, so I'm thinking, you know... <laughs> you don't want to start seriously. thinking life is winding down or anything, but when you hear about people who are still going strong and producing and being, uh, you know, effective and contributing members of society and, and pursuing their passions well into their nineties. That is super inspirational. It's very inspirational. It's, I just can't even imagine it, honestly. Yeah. She was just, she must've been like such a passionate person. Yeah to just continue with everything, you know? Yeah, I agree. So in 1975 and 1976, this is also just taking a little jump back again. (laughs) Um, She was named Conservationist of the Year. In 1977, she received a Wellis... Sorry, I think I said the college name wrong last time. It's Wellesley. Wellesley? 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 I don't know. There's too many L's. (laughs) Um, That College Alumni Achievement Award. Oh, and in 1989, she was named Honorary Vice President of the Sierra Club, which is an environmental organization. From, that's a huge, huge club. Yeah, I'm familiar with yeah, that. Yeah. So wow. that was really neat, too. That is And that cool. was also 1989. That was when she was like 99 years old at that point. She was Honorary Vice President. That's amazing. What's kind of cool thinking about that, too, is that the Sierra Club is very well known. It's huge. And here, I mean, you could, a person could go and join a club, you know, and it, we take to do that, you know, uh, align ourselves with organizations of our, you know, that interest us or whatever. But Marjorie Stoneman Douglas was doing all of this kind of on her own. She wasn't part of some club or some, well, well, I mean, she founded some things herself, but it was all independent of any organizational structure for the most part, it sounds like. And I think that's also kind of unique and just really, really cool. Points to a really strong person. Definitely strong, independent woman. Uh That's exactly what she was Um, because she really uh, I mean all of those years she spent studying and researching the Everglades I mean the Everglades are pretty dangerous 
And I'm not sure if she had any field help, but my goodness, she like five years down there just studying the field and the like economical and environmental changes and that surrounded it um, and how those affected it. Like, I can't even imagine how much went into that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like you said, not having that club or, or any support behind her is just, wow, she had all of that in herself to yeah, do it, you know? It's fascinating. And, and the fact that it took five years to do that is, I mean, you have to have a lot of faith in yourself. You have to have such a passion to keep going, you know? Okay. Year one goes by, year two goes by. <laughs> You know, that's yeah. a long time to be investing yeah. and really have faith that you're working towards something important. Um, that's really, really uh, to be commended. It really is. I'm sure that like a year four passes and she's like, man, I'm like, <laughs> is this ever going to finish? You know, uh, yeah. but she kept to it. It's such and an she accomplishment. Kept going too. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. So in 1991, Congress passed the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Everglades Protection Act, which funded water treatment facilities in the area. Wow. Look at that. Um, Yeah. Uh, And then also in 1993, Clinton awarded her with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which I looked up because I wasn't sure why she was awarded a Medal of Freedom. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, yeah. Just the name of it makes it sound a little bit like, how does that... How's that fit together? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, apparently, the president can bestow this uh, Medal of Freedom onto people who have made an especially meritorious contribution to the national interests of the U.S. Wow. Or other public endeavors. Wow. What yeah. an honor. <laughs> what an honor. Seriously. So, as we know, many schools and parks have been named after her, including the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, which had its infamous shooting in 2018, yeah. where um, actually it was the um, most lethal high school shooting uh, right in front of Columbine in 1999, where they only had, yeah, they only had uh, 15 killed in Columbine. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah, only. But uh, at Stoneman Douglas High School, the 19-year-old shooter, Nicholas Cruz, killed 17 people and injured 17 more. Yeah, super sad, very sad. Um, she finally died <laughs> on May 14th in 1998 at 108 years old. Oh my. Yeah. That's very cool. Wow. Yeah. She lived a full life. And she put out, I mean, she, she put out, <laughs> <laughs> she invested so much of her, her energy and her time and effort into the world around her so much mm-hmm. and that that's just fantastic really yeah, really, really great story such a difference yeah how um, inspirational abby i'm so glad that you uh you chose to talk about her yeah yeah i i am too i i mean i am a very big person on uh the health of the environment uh-huh. and i live in florida <laughs> <laughs> and i haven't really like uh spent much time looking into the everglades because I definitely do not appreciate tropical environments yeah. uh, as much as I should because, <laughs> you know, I was born in Oregon and I love the Pacific Northwest and yeah. mountains and, and not swamps. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it was really interesting to learn about her and I have such a great, great appreciation for her now. Totally. Um, so uh, one more little fact before 
I'm all out of facts here. Yeah. <laughs> um, when she died, uh, they scattered her ashes in the Everglades. Oh, well, how fitting. Which I thought was really, yeah, I thought that was really neat. That's incredible. Well, I think I'm going to have to go out and get her autobiography. Yeah, I know. Me too. I think that that would be such an interesting read. Yeah, I, I feel so inspired right now. Like I'm going to go take on the world. <laughs> good, good. I feel like yeah. I feel like she hers is a story of inspiration, and I hope that everyone listening will also be inspired by what an amazing person she was and what she really did for the world around her. Well, yeah, what she was able to accomplish as one individual. Yeah, it's fabulous, Abby. Yeah. You did a terrific job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I was very nervous. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you did great. Did you have fun doing the research part? I did. It was very fun. Um, I mean, once I found her, I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, this, I'm this so interested in her now. Right yeah. On. And I was just very eager to keep learning about her. Awesome. So well, maybe I, we'll I'm have to do this again, huh? We might have to. We might have to. <laughs> yeah. You were going to say something else. I'm sorry. Um, just also going to speak on the autobiography. We should like read it together. I agree. Let's do that. We'll, we'll make a plan. Yeah, that would be really neat. Very cool. cool. Okay, I'm, I'll order I'll order us a couple of copies before I forget. Sounds good. Sounds okay. good. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much. We're so glad you got to be part of this and learn about Marjorie Stoneman Douglas along with me. And Abby, thanks again for investing your time into our History Slices podcast. We appreciate you a bunch, Jacob and I do. Abs. Thank you again for having me. And thank you, listeners, for bearing with me on my first round. <laughs> my first go about this <laughs> awesome until next time bye <laughs> confucius once said study the past if you would define the future you've been listening to the history slices podcast with jacob and rachel we hope you've gotten some useful information from the show we hope we made you think and we hope you were entertained we know we had fun and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook at History Slices and on Instagram at History Slices Podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And tell a friend about the show. That'll help us out too. One more quote before we go from Michael Crichton. If you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. Till next time, this is History Slices, signing off.